I was supposed to be sitting in some church in West Virginia this weekend. That's what I thought was going to happen. And uh, guess what? Just like all of you, like sickness just comes in like a flood, doesn't it? And uh, totally uh, redoes our week, our plans. My father-in-law is, um, worked his last shift last week. And uh, 40-something years, uh, retired. And so... Um, you know what? I might have just totally messed this up. Anyway, let's just keep moving because he might be watching this right now. <laughs> anyway, great to see you today. <laughs> I did not even think about that until right now. <laughs> Donna, turn the computer off. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway. <laughs> um, reset, you know. I, we love the word. We love the reality of it, correct? Um, it's nice to just be able to reset your devices, um, get, get, get uh, froze up, uh, things get uh, just, you know, hey, I, I can just push a reset. We love reset. We probably do that all through our week. We don't realize as much. We're just able to push the reset button. We even talk about like today, coming in and, and resetting our hearts and minds for the week, right? Well, I love this idea because it is a, it definitely fits into the biblical narrative. God is a God who delights in seeing us if we get locked up, frozen, stagnant, um, you know, just lost, or um, is not a God who's like, well, figure that out, or uh, good luck with that, or, uh, you know, it's going to take you some time to get back to, it's, he's a God who delights, who runs toward us to reset our lives. His grace, even the idea of grace, is unmerited favor and action from God toward us in a way that is trying to lift us and to, to bring us uh, out of something or to uh, give us uh, help. And all of our times of need, all of our phases of life. So God's a God of resets. And so as we begin this year, just uh, trying to think about maybe areas, maybe, maybe your whole life has just needed a reset. Well, guess what? God absolutely comes to right to where you're at and offers you a reset. And it is amazing what His grace is able to do in our brokenness, and our lostness, and... Um, in, in, in our, just the messed up chaos of our life, God absolutely comes right in the middle of that and offers us a reset. And um, just that word to you today, if you, if you just feel like your life needs a reset, well, you're looking at the, you're looking at the right thing. This is the, he is the one who offers a reset. And it's amazing uh, what he does in our lives. And when we look back and we're like, wow, I never imagined that my life could be fixed. I never imagined that I would, I could go living without that 
or I could live in a, in a state of mind, in a state of place where this wasn't something that just had uh, you know, power over me. That's the kind of reset he offers. But as I've been thinking about us, and just really, there's a lot of different things you could talk about with reset, but really praying before the Lord, and what do you want me to talk about? Because I could talk about reset probably 52 Sundays, different subjects. What is it that we need to hear? We talked about our heart, right? Making it available to God's word. Reset my heart. Make it available to God's word. Um, one thing before I move on, as I said every week, reset comes from help outside of us, right? We don't reset ourselves. He resets us. Just as we reset the device, it's just going to stay locked up, frozen. He resets us. And so this is not a self-improvement, figure it out, dig deeper, try harder series. It's never that way here. It's always a look to the one who has the grace that we need. Uh, We are nothing, and we can do nothing, and we are lost without him. And so this whole thing, always, every Sunday, should be about pointing you to, to the one who is able, right? Not looking inside yourself, but looking to him. And so that's where reset comes from. But our heart, making it available to God's word, our faith causing us to to believe so that we can see. And then our identity, so often um, uh, we live, and we live in a world of labels, right? Um, Whether we like it or not, there's labels everywhere. But the idea is that labels, they, they, they might describe you, but Christ should define you. And um, so those are areas of our life that I just feel like the Lord is speaking to me about. Somebody here, or maybe all of us together, need to think about these things, be drawn back to these things, and and be reminded of truth from the Word of God. Um, Today, um, I want to talk about a word that, as soon as I say it, um, some of you might be like, oh yeah, that guy talks about that quite a bit. I hear that all the time. It's kind of a a word that we use in all different areas of life, but I want to talk about today, reset my community. Reset my community. I thought it was interesting as I was thinking about this and, and, um, and you know, just my mind's dwelling on this idea. Um, my wife shares with me a video that her dad had sent to her, and I was, I, I just, I've got a lot of laughs out of this, um, but uh, it kind of reminds me of what it is to live in a community, right? Life is people, and, and uh, we have different groups that we live in. And, and um, I just, I don't know, this, is, this has made me laugh uh, for a while, and I thought it might make you laugh. Now, here's the deal. This was shot by a guy who's uh, shooting with an f- iPhone, right, or a, f- a camera. And this, this, <laughs> these, uh, these, these pipe welders, all right, they have a new guy. New guy showed up. First shift, I think. And so what do we do, right, with people? We joke around, right? And so they are, they are messing with this guy, and he has no idea, but uh, just reminding me of what it is to live in a community because this stuff happens. Um, hopefully I get the volume up, but uh, go ahead and show that. Get enough. 
So they told the new guy he needed to collect air samples with a trash bag. And him not knowing any better, I mean, his first day on the job, right? He's out there with a trash bag trying to collect air samples. Isn't that what it's like to live in communities, right? Like um, to, be, uh, to be the butt of a joke or to be the one playing a joke. Um, life, I mean, this is just, this is life. And, um, you know, community is, is, a, is a biblical idea, um, I would first of all remind you of Acts 2 and 42. We use this verse a lot everywhere. Every preacher I know, this is a go-to verse. Why? Because as people who lead congregations, as we try to understand the dynamics of what a church is, this is so crystal clear in helping us to see what, uh, the value of community. The early church starts, um, you know, you remember the day of Pentecost, uh, this whole thing has happened. Christ has left. He's ascended. He sent his Holy Spirit. This is the reality now. This is what we are going to understand and live in. And so clearly he says that these people, this early church, devoted themselves to teaching what we're doing right now, right? Teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. But this word fellowship carries with it the idea of a close togetherness, kononia. This is the understanding of what community is. It's a close togetherness. I would say it this way. Church is not an event to attend, but a family to belong in. Church is not an event to attend, but a family to belong in. In fact, if you were to continue to walk down those pages of Acts and you would see this, this church forming and people being saved and uh, coming together and the church of Jesus Christ springing up, you would understand that, uh, I think it's in Acts 5, that um, there was two dynamics going on. They would gather at the temples together to worship and then they would be house to house with one another. That's always been New Testament methodology. Corporate worship and community, smaller communities forming together. That's always been the way this thing works. It's what it was designed to. And he says, listen, we devoted ourselves to this understanding of we come together, we hear teaching, we worship together, we pray together together. Um, we break the bread, we, we celebrate the, the, Lord's, uh, the Lord's Supper. In the middle of that, though, is to fellowship, this close togetherness. Now, I would say that Scripture's always taught this. You would see that um, we were designed for connection. The Scriptures are just inherently teaching this everywhere. Um, you know, we're designed for it, Right? Uh, it's not good for man to be alone. Um, if you look through the New Testament, you see that um, connection or community is what gives us balance in our lives. All of the one another's through the New Testament, and you count them up, there's a lot of them. This to one another, do this for one another, do this to one another, say this to one another, act this way to work. This whole one another is creating to do two things, to give us balance in our lives because someone who is not connected by ourselves goes to, by themselves goes to extremes. We always do that. You open the paper, 
and you read about someone. I just watched an eight-part uh, um, series on the Unabomber. Anybody remember the Unabomber? Like, I could identify with that because I remember the Unabomber, right? Talk about different things in history. I'm like, I don't remember that. I remember the Unabomber. Um, and you guys, some of you remember very vividly. I was just a teen when they captured him and all that. But his story is a story of so many that becoming isolated, they lose all balance in their life. They lose all sense of balance. He became isolated. He cut himself off from what his original design and purpose was, was to be in a community of people. And as he did that, he began to entertain extreme things and then take extreme actions. That's, a, that's kind of a, a harsh illustration of what does happen in our lives community was created, the scriptures, the one another's of the New Testament, was given to give our lives a sense of balance. And when we're together, we balance each other out and we keep each other grounded and also to give one another strength. It's amazing how much more you're able to handle when you're not handling it alone. I've seen this over and over in grief and in crisis. That just a sense of I'm not in this alone, the ability to have more strength is, is gained by people in it with you together. And so community has is, 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 is always been God's way. It's our design. It's to balance us, to give us strength. And I would say that right now, why this is important and probably why I picked this topic today and why the Lord leads me this way sometimes and why we as a as pastors everywhere are, are really in tune with this idea is because our culture is absolutely detouring us from community. It really is. I've got I, I, I got in a section of notes all this data, not Christian data, but data that's telling us that technology has enabled us to be more connected than ever, but now we are becoming less connected. Right? You've heard me talk about this before. There's detours from community. Uh, things like mobility. We move around more. We do more. We're more active, right? And so um, we just can go here, there, and everywhere. And the um, maybe unintended, unintended consequences of it is we lose a sense of community because I have more mobility now than ever before. If I want to leave on the weekend and go to Chicago, well, great, I'll go to Chicago. If I want to go here, there, we're just far more mobile, right? We're, uh, we're uh, our social value. It is absolutely the social value lifts up individualism. It lifts up, we value individualism more now than ever before. And I would say pace of life. Pace of life has gotten to a point where we are always moving from thing to thing to thing. And guess what? Does not thrive in this kind of environment. Community. Community is relationships built. And relationships built take what? Time. It takes energy. It takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes, you know what? Um, 
I choose to be at this. I choose to get together with this person. I choose because there's so many other things racing. I could do so many options. I do have so many demands on my life. But relationships call us, demand us to choose to value those things with time, communication, and effort. Uh, is it Tim Keller? I think I, ha- oh, I don't have the Keller quote up there, but I-, I like this quote from Tim Keller. You cannot know God apart from community. You cannot know God apart from community. That's a powerful statement, but I think it is absolutely a biblical statement. And so we are in this tension, this tug of war of being called to community. The church is built around fellowship, koinonia, close togetherness, and yet our world is more and more lifting up individualism. It's going faster and faster and faster, and it's giving us more options and options and options to, to, to do and to be involved in, and all the while, community is standing there wanting our devotion and time and intentionality. I want to say this before I jump into what I, what I want to just explain with community. And that's this. Uh, Dr. Larry Crabb, uh, a, a psychologist, has kind of coined these two ideas. Um, I, I was introduced this years ago. And I, I got to be honest, it, it really affects my thinking. And I think in a right way. When he says that the two basic, deepest longings of a human heart... And then in essence, what become needs of the human heart are security and significance. I look at my own life and I ask myself, why am I doing that? And I th- through this filter. It's because I'm probably longing to either be secure or I'm longing to matter. I want to be safe and I want to know things are okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in a secure place or I want to be significant. I want to matter. I want to believe that my life means something. Security and significance. And I think that security and significance are exactly, exactly what community can answer in our lives. And this is the way the New Testament presents it. it calls us to community, right? I hate to keep talking about this because we've talked about it before. One of our core values is connect. We've kind of, but I just wanted to remind you today, and at the end I want to make some points, but I want to just remind you of what the New Testament, these metaphors it uses when it talks about community or the church of Jesus Christ. And remember, as we talk about these, I believe that these metaphors that, that God gives us are absolutely in harmony with the idea of the longings of our heart, the needs of our heart for security and significance. There's four different metaphors in the New Testament that is used when it talks about community. The first one I notice is, is God uses this idea of a house, this picture, this metaphor of a house to describe to us what community looks like, what his church looks like. You, you would read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, it says in him, In him the whole building is, building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So he introduces us to this idea of a house, a house. You are to understand your life in the, the metaphor of a house. You are to understand the church in the metaphor of a house. You are a brick in the house. And I want us to remember one word when we think about the metaphor of the house, and that is stability, stability. You know, it uses the word built up together. And the idea of a building, uh, well, just think about it this way. When you build a building, here are some things that, can't, that, that have to happen or cannot happen. You can't build with just one part, right? Can't build a building with just one part. You, all the parts have to fit together. They have to fit together. A part is useless unless it is connected. And also, a part can be inside the house and still not be connected to the house. How many of you, <laughs> that's been a reality for you, right? You're doing a project in your house, and the stuff is sitting there, and then two weeks later, it's still sitting there, and then a month later, it's still sitting there. I'm going to get to that. The part that needs to go into the, to, to build, to be a part of the house, is still sitting there. It's not being used yet. And I want to remind you that the idea of house carries with it this idea of, it uses the phrase, built together and when this part goes with this part and this part then is connected to this part and as parts continue to be built and Jesus says what that in this house he is the foundation he's the cornerstone part and then on top of the cornerstone the house is built there becomes a sense of stability and support he uses this, this metaphor to remind us that in the church of Jesus Christ, the community of believers, this metaphor of house is reminding us that when we are together, we are holding each other up. We are placed together to build something that becomes strong and stable. And community, especially community in the church, is, is designed to give us Support and stability. Support and stability. But he also uses the idea of body. The body, right? Romans chapter 12. For as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I want you to think in this sense of not only stability is what community brings, but in the, I, the metaphor of the body, the picture of the body, we get capacity. Capacity. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. They have lost connection with the head. He's talking about people who moved away from the faith. From whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and its sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So he uses this idea of body, of different parts of the body that work together. Remember, we've, we've uh, talked about this before, that the body is, is, has unity. Although it's diverse, it works together in harmony. 
And he uses this to give us a picture of something that reaches its capacity. I want to remind you that um, in the body, the body of Christ, there are different, as he says, there are, obviously the body has different members. Some are more prominent, but none lack significance. Some are more prominent, but none lack significance. You know, in my house, at times, the most important light is not the big chandelier um, shining in the entryway. It's the night light that stops me from stubbing my toe, right? That has the most significance for me in my house at that moment. And the body has always been not about prominence, but significance. Some of you might think that the most significant house in my light might be the refrigerator light. <laughs> not yet. Hopefully not ever. But. And you know what he says? He says, listen, that in the body... If something is cut off from the body, if a member was cut off from the body, if the ear was cut off from the body, it would not only be useless, but it would also what? Die. It would die. Muscles, bones, ligaments, tissues have no value unless they are connected. And the New Testament gives us this picture of how do you understand community? How do you understand the church? Well, here's a picture of a house. And that house, it just screams stability and support for one another. It gives you security, right? Security and significance. House screams of security. In this community, I am supported and I find stability. But also the picture of the body, of this, um, this connectedness where we come together and as Colossians says, that out of it we have life and we have growth. And that as we, as we are connected to one another in the body, as the body functions as it's supposed to, it grows stronger and it has greater capacity. It has significance. It has meaning. The third thing he uses is the idea of plant, right? The idea of plant. This is the one I've wrestled with the most um, these last couple days. And thinking about this, it's, it's, remember what he said in John, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He gives us this, he started with Israel and he called them the true, uh, the vine. And then as, as he came as, as Savior, as Messiah, and he introduces a new covenant, a new co uh, concept, he represents now his church as the vine. As, as, as the vine. And he says in this way, he represents it as a plant where he's the vine and we are the branches. And this idea is screaming to us of, of community, of connectivity, of the idea of being connected to the power of Jesus. 
Just think about your toaster or your DVD player or even one little part of your car. If it's not connected, we figure this out right now with cars. It's amazing. Like it used to be, well, the alternator's out. Now it's like it might be something bad with the computer. It might be something this small that carries, it's like, well, that's not very, but it just shuts the whole thing down. If it's not connected or if any of these other things are not connected, they do not perform. They are not productive. And the idea with plant is productivity. See, the key word there is Bear fruit, bear fruit. Now, if he's saying, listen, I want you to understand who you are in community as a plant would understand, um, you know, that he uses the idea that he's vine and we're branches. Now, there's not, just, there's not ever just one branch, right? Something's wrong with that plant if there's one branch. There's always so many branches coming off of it. But he's saying that in this idea, this metaphor, that we understand ourselves, the church, as a plant, the idea is the plant is to do what? To bear fruit. My life is called to bear fruit, to be fruitful. I can't do that unless I'm connected to what? Jesus, right? But here's the idea. If you carry this thought out and you think about, well, what fruits are my life supposed to bear? You automatically think of what? The fruits of the Spirit are this. You start to go down through the fruits of the Spirit and they are all what in nature? Relational. Relational. The fruits of the Spirit are lived in community. Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. All these things are relational type terms. I'm called to bear fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. I can only do that when I'm in relationships with one another. Community bears about productivity. He wants my life again to be significant, to be productive. And that productivity is not in how many, listen to me, there is value in being productive in your work. Amen? Right? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Being a good employer, being a productive employer, is an unbelievable testimony to the work of God in your life. Can be. Now there's a lot of people that are productive that aren't believers. But believers ought to be productive at a bare minimum. Right? You, you, you're called to be a great employee. But the greatest production that will ever happen out of your life comes through producing the fruits of the Spirit into this world. And you cannot do that if you're not in a community. The greatest work that you and I have to do is relationship driven. Amen? That's not a very popular thing to say 21st century America. We're more interested in how many passes or how many 
yards you can throw, how many home runs you can hit, how many uh, business deals you can make, how many things we can invent, how, how many products we can sell. But all along, the greatest productivity that our lives can produce is relationship, the fruits of the Spirit. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By what? By how great churches you build and how awesome programs you make and how, no, by your love for one another. You see, the fruits of the Spirit, the essence of those things are bringing us back to the core command of Jesus Christ of loving God and loving one another. And so he uses this idea of a plant to bring us back to it's only in community that we are productive. We bear much fruit. And that brings significance into my life. I feel like I matter I feel like I've made a difference when I bear fruit. The last one is the idea of family, right? Ephesians chapter 2, again, Ephesians chapter 2 is great with this with stuff. It reads this way. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Um, <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth, which would scream toward the house aspect. I didn't put that in there, but again, he uses this idea of family. Family does such a good job of teaching us who we are, right? Find our identity first in our family, probably. Um, uh, you know, it's amazing how much we do care about that. Um, I talked about that last week, but even thinking further this week, you know, you know, even the clothes that we wear so often, it's our way as we, as we put on, you know, Nike or Vans or um, I don't even know what I'm wearing today, something else. Sometimes so often it, it is my way of identifying with something. Um, my favorite is Forever 21, right? Um, <laughs> I'm going to start a brand called Forever 29. <laughs> when we put on these clothes so often in our world, they're identifying with something. They're finding their identity in, in what they're, they're wearing, and it matters to them. Um, you know, the world, again, back to kind of last week, labels us and identifies us short, fat, skinny, thin, tall, Caucasian, Asian. You are part of this political party. But I would like to remind you that most of your identity is supposed to come from the relationships that you have. I myself, I am a son. I am a grandson. Those are huge things in my identity. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Those are relationship things that form my identity. I am a team member. I'm a small group member. I'm a pastor, an employer, employee. These are relationship-type things. That's why when these things get broken, so often we have a hard time 
knowing who we are. I've sat across and looked at people who are in the middle of divorce, and all of a sudden at their very core, their identity is being rocked. Who am I? Because who you are has been tied to your relationship so often. The death of a spouse. You ever looked into the eyes of one who's lost a spouse and just the, the emptiness there and the hurt there and the idea that lostness so often is what I see. What am I going to do now? Who am I? I, I? It's been us as one and now they're gone. Who am I? So often, most often, or most importantly, our identity is tied to our relationships. And I would remind you that he uses the idea of family, the family of God, the household of God, to help us understand how community should work in our life. You see, because family, if they're not dysfunctional, <laughs> a lot of us would be like, well, I'm out then. Family absolutely is giving us two things, love and acceptance. Love and acceptance, right? Your family, they love you with all your warts, right? There's something so wonderful about that. To know that, you know what? <laughs> I remember my dad. I mean, I, I was a tough teen, I'm going to be honest. And I remember there wasn't one, but maybe a couple times that I stood in front of him a magistrate and it just happened to be the same guy which was bad for me because he recognized me my dad stood up there with me and he saw the worst of you know like I you know I was exasperating him I was making life difficult on him too and yet walking out of that courtroom and never feeling one time like my dad didn't love me that he wouldn't be there for him. I'd have been pretty frustrated with me right then. <laughs> Probably wanted to kick my butt. But I never lost a sense of love. That's what family does. Accepts us. Even when we fail, struggle, mess up. Family. God has introduced to us that his community, his church, is like a family. A family that you are loved and accepted in. Again, back to that one of those words, right? I find security. You see, in a house, I find stability, which is security. In the body, I find um, I find uh, capacity. I fit. I work. I help. I create. I find significance. In a plant, again, I'm bearing fruit. I'm productive. Significance. But in a family, I'm loved and accepted. It's a place I can go where me, with all my whatever, I've found places that support and encourage me and lift me up and strengthen me and help me to be the person I'm supposed to be because there's this foundational love and acceptance and that's what he calls us to be a part of to enter into a community where there is love and acceptance 
That's why my simple point is, Lord, reset my community. In the middle of all these pulls on my life and these, these things that want to pull me away from intentionally being part of a community, of prioritizing that above so many things. Lord, help me reset my community. Help me to buy into the life of we, not me. Help me to continue to buy in to the reality I need we, not me. I need me, not we. It's asking questions like this. Who are you looking out for and who is looking out for you? Can you answer those questions? Do you have good answers to those questions? Well, that's what he calls us to. A community of acceptance, of love, of stability, of support, of of life and growth and productivity. That's why we truly believe here, as the church has always believed, that life truly changes not in rows, but in circles. Life changes not in rows, but life begins to change in circles, tables, coffee shops, relationships. When the truth that is proclaimed, the truth that we center around is then fleshed out in our lives in this community. And we get to experience this kononia, this close togetherness. And in experiencing this, we meet Jesus, through his church, his spirit and his church, meets the greatest longings of our heart, the needs of our heart, for security and significance. And I believe that I'm probably talking to people that maybe have drifted in this area. So easy, I get, I get it. But remember, he's always designed this whole thing around community, close together. So I invite you just to listen as Sarah sings and reflect on what we've talked about today and ask the Holy Spirit maybe to speak to you if uh, this is an area where you just need a reset, a reset in my community.
Father, you designed us for community, close togetherness. Lord, we see in that that we experience things like support, stability, life and growth, love and acceptance, productivity. Lord, I realize we are living in a world that is running from this. We're isolated so often. And Lord, the church stands as this great light, this great example of what it means to experience life as it was always designed to be lived with, together. We're always better together. And those deep needs, the longings for security and significance, they're met in the church of Jesus Christ in community with one another. So Lord, keep us committed to this and Lord, maybe if some have drifted from this, help, help them to understand that you call them to this. <laughs> it's a part of the abundant life. Speak to us, we pray. Go with us, we ask. Create great, strong, vibrant communities at Nap Naz, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, have a great day.